gospel, going, this could be bad. But there's no bad news. Oh, I rejoice. And I lift up my dear friend who may have a week left. Mayo said it was the fastest growing tumor of that kind they've ever seen. There's nothing they can do. Yet, God, I, I pray in faith. God, you are a healer. Oh, I believe that. So God, if it's consistent with Your will, I pray that You heal my friend. But whatever Your will is, we submit to that. And Lord, I pray today, as we go through this passage, we're going to be covering a lot of data, learning things in Scripture, what, what the Bible teaches about Satan and exorcism and prayer and unbelief. It will touch our hearts in many ways. So I pray, Lord, by Your Spirit, strengthen our faith. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Amen? So go to the Gospel of Mark. We're going through our series with Christ in the School of Discipleship. So now we're in school. Today is a teaching day. We're looking at the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to be looking here, Mark chapter 9, starting with verse 14. And what we want to do is start with the characters of the story. In fact, We've got it up here on, on the screen here, and it's been such a crazy week. I, I sent Stacy the PowerPoint notes, and then on my way to Rochester, she said, I never got them, I never got them. Like, so I pulled over at, at a hotel to get their internet, and I, I sent her the wrong notes. And she's like, okay, this doesn't seem right. And then this morning, I'm like, we've got to change the notes. So hopefully this all works out for us here. Starting with verse 14 here. When they came... To the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and teachers of the law arguing with them. Verse 14, Mark 9. Now in 15. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet Him. What are you arguing with them about? He asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you, my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him on the ground, foams in the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So take a look at this. I've underlined some of the characters of the story. The disciples in the crowd. So Peter, James, and Jesus, and, and John, they have all been up on this great mount, literally a mountaintop experience last week. The transfiguration, they, they're with Jesus, the three of them, and they've had this literally glorious experience. Now they come from this mountaintop to a low of discipleship. We will see here. They meet with the other nine disciples. And the crowd filled with tension. There's arguing. And we'll talk more about just poor spiritual leadership when we get to Mark chapter 10. He's going to talk about it here, but the teachers of the law are arguing. And it's just, it's kind of, there's disagreement, there's tension. And it's all about this father's urgent need for his son. Then you've got Jesus, the Messiah here. He takes action, as we will see, full of compassion. And he's teaching the disciples. It's interesting, throughout the week, I was praying through this message. We're going to talk about Satan, demons, 
exorcism. I'm like, yeah, I should be praying for our church as we do this sermon. But I was like, I will, because these are heavy topics, but Jesus is greater. We'll see that he is the true master here. Then the dad. I love how Jesus comes and goes, what, what are you guys arguing about? The disciples are just kind of, they're, they're dumbfounded and they're, they don't know what to say, so the dad's the one who speaks up. He brings, he knows Jesus is around, so he brings his son to the other nine disciples. And he's frustrated that these nine are unable to help. And he's desperate for a miracle. Let me, let me be real with you here. Raise your hand if you've ever been desperate for a miracle. Right? So we're going we're to look at the dad here. He's one of the heroes of the story. Then a boy, a young boy here, mute, experiencing convulsions, foaming at the mouth. And then we've got this evil spirit. An evil spirit is here. Since this is the last exorcism in the Gospel of Mark that we're primarily dealing with here, the primary exorcism, what I want to do is I want to take some time and briefly talk about what the Bible teaches about demons, Satan, and exorcisms here. Evil spirit. So the question here is, is this sickness or Satan? Because if you would have read this story, take a look at this. Verse 16, what are you arguing about? A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son. If you would have missed that first part where he says, who is possessed by spirit, I brought me my son who's robbed with speech, falls to the ground, shakes and foams. You might go, oh, this is epilepsy. Has anyone ever seen someone have a seizure before? Okay. So a, a great question to ask is, is this sickness... Or Satan? And as we will see, I'm jumping ahead here, but as we'll see, it's always good to pray and wait on the Lord to find out what the source is. Okay? Because at times, epileptic seizures sometimes is the source of a medical condition which is truly a medical condition. That could be the source of it. Or, sometimes, when you see someone like that, it could be spiritual. Yes, we can categorize the medical, yet at times we need to be real and realistic about the evil that could be lurking behind the situation. So, this comes to the question, why is there sickness? Sickness or Satan, what's behind here? Let me suggest to you three biblical reasons why there's sickness around today. Number one, the effects of this fallen world. We live in a world that is tainted by sin. Biblically, we see this from Genesis all the way to the end of the Bible. We see the effects of sin. Even creation groans and waits for this great Maranatha. So around us, we see the effects of the fallen world. And one of those things is sickness. You might be a godly, righteous person, but guess what? Sickness is still there. The effects of this fallen world are there. We need to be real about that. The question I'm asking about my friend is why? Well, the effects of sin are all around. Number two, at times, 
Sin lies behind this sickness and suffering. Sometimes it's because of sin. We learn that in James. We learn that in other passages of Scripture that Jesus even deals with. Sometimes they need to confess before the healing happens. Sometimes it's because of sin. We dealt with that in the Gospel of Mark. Sometimes it's possible that people get cancer because of their sinful ways. Not always. So we need to realize sometimes there's sin behind the scheme of it all. If you don't take care of your body, for instance, my grandpa, he smoked four packs of cigarettes a day. He died of lung cancer. He got cancer. We live in a fallen world. Sometimes sin lies behind it. And then lastly, we see that sometimes there's demonic attacks and there's demonic activity behind the sickness. So let me quickly tie that in with talking about the enemies of God. Demons. What are demons? Are demons real? Yes or no? Yes. Demons are real. Let me just tell you to be very firm here when we talk about demons and Satan. We live in a world of empirical verification and science and all this stuff and a lot of people. In fact, there is a church in town here who doesn't believe in Satan. Man, they got issues. Satan has fooled them. Demons. Demons are angelic beings that rebelled against God. When God created the world, He made everything good, right? Everything good. Genesis chapter 1. And somewhere between Genesis 1 and Genesis 3, we don't know when, angels rebelled against God. We read about that in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In fact, 2 Peter 2 verse 4 says this, that God did not spare any of the angels when they sinned, when they turned against God. So these are demons. Demons can do horrible things. They seek, kill, and destroy. And they want to defeat all who are made in the image of God. They want to destroy, whether Christian or non-Christian, all humans are made in the image of God. And they can use, at times, human illness as part of their wicked plans of destruction. Here's a boy. Maybe he did have epilepsy, maybe he didn't, but whatever it is, the demons use that to destroy. And we'll see how destructive it was here in a bit. So demons. Now let's talk about Satan. Satan is real. Job, 1 Chronicles, Zechariah, the New Testament, the Gospels, all around, it talks about Satan. He's the leader of the demons. Satan sinned before any human did as seen in tempting of Eve in the garden. Satan has been a murderer from the beginning, it says in Scripture. He is the father of lies. 1 John. The story of Job makes it clear that Satan can only do what God gives him permission to do. Satan is always on a leash. Remember that, okay? So Satan is real. 
So let me throw this in here as we're talking about this. Here's a question that I get once in a while. Can a Christian be demon-possessed? So here's what I wrote down. Looking at Scripture, we realize that believers are the property of God. I belong to Him. I've been bought with a price. I am not my own, right? I belong to Him. I'm exclusively His property. They cannot be demon-possessed if that expression means ownership. Satan cannot own me. Praise God. I was once in the kingdom of darkness, 1 Peter says, but now I've been brought into the light. They cannot be possessed if that expression means ownership of a believer by Satan or by demons. No, we, we can't. Because I belong to God. I cannot be possessed, owned by them. In fact, the Greek term here is better translated under de- demonic influence. Instead of possession, because when you think of possession, you think, oh, they're possessed by a demon. It's better to be like they're under the influence. So like under the influence of being intoxicated by alcohol. Someone who's intoxicated under the influence of alcohol, you, you know that. You've seen people who are drunk, they can't function well. They are kind of controlled by the alcohol. They're, they're not possessed by it, but they're under the influence of that. So the Christian, listen to this though. I don't think personally through Scripture that we can be possessed by demons. Yes. Let me be very serious here. The Christian who is involved in wrong behavior, the sin in your life, worldly affairs, or satanic stuff, you can be open to its control. Influenced by it. We see this like in Romans 6.12. Don't be a slave to that stuff anymore. Yeah, you're bought with a price. You belong to Christ, but get rid of that sinful way. Christians can be under the influence of spiritual attack and demonic control at times if you're so heavily involved in sin, heavily involved with the world, or doing satanic stuff. Be careful! And this happens when you practice or yield to sin. So how do we know if there's spiritual stuff going on? Back to the story here. Is this sickness or is this Satan? Throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament, here's three things that I've seen. How do we know if there's demonic activity? Three primary ways. Number one, weird, violent actions. I remember when I was in college, I got a phone call. Someone saying, hey, would you come down to the prayer room? My girlfriend is dealing with a bunch of stuff. Sure. Okay, yeah, I'll come and pray. I get down there. She's in the corner, shaking and just crying and just yelling. I'm just like, okay, what's going on here? Did you guys just break up? I mean, yeah, breakups do that sometimes. No, and he said that she's been doing a bunch of stuff that is ungodly and something's wrong. And I remember going, okay, Lord, this isn't normal. And we see this whenever Jesus, in the Gospel of Mark and the other Gospels, meets someone 
who has been influenced by demonic control, whatever, there's violent things happening. That could be one thing. And that's the way we kind of picture it. Someone's under demonic influence and they're screaming, whatever, rolling, foaming at the mouth. But there's other categorical ways someone could be under the influence of spiritual attack or demonic influence. Listen to this one. Blatant, false, doctrinal statement. It's not just a physical thing. It can be a doctrinal thing. Denying that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's satanic. Taking away the deity of Christ, who is fully God and fully man, taking that away, that's not good. And number three, how do you know? It says in Scripture that we've been given different gifts. The body of Christ has been given different gifts. And at times, people can have what we can call the gift of discernment. They, they have this prayerful discernment where they can go to a situation and be like, you know what? I know you're dealing with sin, but there's also satanic stuff, demonic stuff involved here. We need to pray. We'll talk more about that at the, our end here as we pray. Jesus, let me end with this part here by saying this is very important. Jesus gives all believers that means even little kids who turn to Christ. He gives all believers authority to rebuke demons and command them to leave and the power to resist demons. James chapter 4, verse 7. Resist the devil and he will what? Flee from you. So even though there's, demons are real, Satan's real, they're a grape. God is the giant squish, right? Amen? And He's given Christians authority to resist. Believers can experience real freedom and victory from the influence of spiritual attack because, not because I can function within myself the fighting, no, because Christ has defeated them through the beauty of the cross. Amen? Alright, those are the characters of the story. Let's now move to the, the conflict here. I asked your disciple, this is the, the middle of verse 18. I asked your disciples to drive out the Spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So even though it would seem the main conflict is the demon, right? The main conflict is this demon and this boy and their inability to, to cast it out. The main conflict is Satan versus Jesus. Let's get Spielberg to make a movie of this. That's not the real conflict. Because again, when Jesus is there, there is no conflict, right? Satan's the real conflict is people's unbelief. The real danger is the unbelief of this crowd and the disciples and no one gets it. That's the conflict. There is danger in unbelief. And here, this is speaking of the refusal to believe the truths of God. Yes, I'm the Messiah. I just took three of you guys up there to see it. They now get it more than the other nine, 
And the disciples were not strong enough and did not have the power. And they're probably feeling ashamed, embarrassed. We saw Jesus do it. We tried to do it. And we saw in chapter 6 that Jesus commissions them to go out to drive out demons. And they were successful at that time. But in this case, they were not. And their ability to help the man suggests that their faith was weak. And they had not yet grasped the understanding of Christ's teaching. And the leaders are ripping them apart. The disciples feel defeated. The teachers of the law are there yelling at them. Jesus is frustrated. Will there be enough time to transform these disciples' self-centeredness into the true beauty of faith and understanding of who the Messiah is? They're slow to learn. Will there? How long do I get? There's not enough time here. You guys don't get it. And with the strong words of Jesus, he's hoping to waken up their unbelief. Waken up them so they can believe. The conflict isn't the demon, it's unbelief. Now let's get to the resolution here. Verse 20. So they brought him. When the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into convulsion. He fell to the ground, rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him in the fire or water to kill him. But even if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus says. Everything is possible for for the one who believes. Immediately the boy's father explained, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Something to learn that I've learned through Jesus here is he assesses what's going on. I mean, he's the Son of God, so he knows what's going on. But he wants to get to the Father here because the main conflict isn't really the demon here, this evil spirit. The main conflict is the belief and unbelief. He looks at the severity of the situation and he wants to reveal faith. He wants to reveal the Father's faith. The danger is great. I mean, not only is the demon there rolling him around, foaming in the mouth, the demon has tried to kill him. Fire. Drowning. This is horrible. As I said before, when evil spirits encounter Jesus, there's always, in Scripture, a violent reaction. So Jesus assesses and has true compassion. Bring the boy to me. How long has this been? And now we come to one of the greatest statements for true discipleship. Here it is. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And here the dad still has hope. 
Even though this has been a lifelong thing since a child, this has been struggling, this is hard, he still has them. He literally brings the boy. He's heard that the Messiah, the great healer is here, looking for him, doesn't see him. Hey, you nine disciples, you take care of this. They can't do it. Then, Jesus shows up with the other three. The crowd's excited because they're like, guess what, the nine can do it. Now the real master's here. The model of discipleship is small faith that turns to God admitting unbelief. Small amount of faith is better than straight out unbelief. Okay? I know people who do not believe. I know people who do not believe that Jesus is God. I believe there's people I, I know that just don't believe in the truths of Scripture. Yet here, he's unsure yet he still comes to Jesus. And this is all that the Father has. I've tried many things throughout my boy's life. This is my last hope. I'm bringing it, this boy to Jesus. Maybe! He even says, if you can do it. So he's got some doubt. So here it is, people. Listen. We think that Christianity is about like having this rock-solid faith in Jesus Christ, never shaking. And if you shake in your faith, if you have doubts or anything, then, oh, I'm like doubting Thomas, just kick me out. Oh, I, I, I don't have that strong faith, and, and I cry a lot, and, and I'm dealing with all these issues in my life, I just can't do it. And you feel like, I'm not good enough. One of the greatest statements to ever have I do believe. It's very small. If you can do it, help me overcome my unbelief. And this model here, there's different models of discipleship. This is, I think, one of the greatest things where he comes with simple, small, little faith. So here's the question I thought of. Can a Christian struggle with unbelief? Your faith is never perfect. Your understanding of God will never be fully complete here on earth. When we see Him face to face, then the complete will come, it says in 1 Corinthians. There are times we don't understand or have all the answers, and that's okay. In fact, with the first two people I was with this week and and the cancer scare and the cancer stuff, Tears of joy. Then at the end, Friday, I was a wreck inside. Here is my dear friend. And I'm just like, God, I believe. I have such little faith. Is it okay that I don't know all the answers right now? It's okay to not have all the answers. Because we're not God. We are not to remain in doubt but to come to Christ, to trust that His grace is sufficient to help your unbelief. I remember driving back and I finally got some time alone and I just cried. I said, God, I, just, I don't get this. This isn't fair. And it's like, yeah it's, yeah, it's not fair. God, help me. And it was a great time for me in my heart to go, God, help my unbelief. 
through all of this, we are to grow in Him, bringing our unbelief, bringing our struggle, so we can know that Christ can help you. And I pray that my faith would not waver and tank it all. That would trust in Him. We must have some faith. Bring it to Him. Trust, and we'll see this here at the end, the reputation and the character of God. Help me in areas that my faith cannot see. So those of you who struggle, may this strengthen your faith. The real conflict, I believe, isn't Satan and the, and the demons. It's really not the sickness. The conflict is unbelief. And the great resolution is by this simple dad who says, I do believe, man, it's the size of a mustard seed. Help me overcome my unbelief. I love that. And here's what Jesus does. He says, everything is possible for the one who believes. Everything does not mean that God is required to obey all the requests of Cody. I pray right now that after this afternoon I have the biggest pizza party in the world. Dun, da, da, da. He's not a genie that I go, okay God, here's all the things I want done in my plans. Or that my faith can accomplish anything I can do. It does state in this statement that the limitless power of God is available to those who believe in God's will. Let me say that again. This does say everything's possible. It does state that the limitless power of God is available to those who trust in the will of God. Those who have faith, we don't set limits on what God can do. Instead, we follow the will of God. Really, it comes down to this. If you remember last week and what we've been talking about. Worship. Maranatha is all about worship. Not style of worship, but object of worship. What's the object of worship? Christ the Messiah. The Hallelujah Chorus. In fact, this past Wednesday, we did popcorn with the pastors with the Iwana kids, and someone in a big text email said, hey, what song do you want sung? I said, the Hallelujah Chorus. Oh, we can't do that one. The object of our worship is God. Faith, sickness, demonic influence. It can be sometimes scary. It's hard in our faith. What's the object of our faith? The object of our faith should never be our own faith. My college roommate got stomach cancer. I'll never, for, I'll never forget. Went to go visit him in Virginia. We walked to his mailbox, which is about 100 yards. It took us like a half hour to get there. As he walked, just skin and bones, he said, everyone keeps telling me I need more faith. I need more faith. I'm sick because I don't have enough faith. No. He said, those people, their objects of healing is the amount of faith they can conjure up and then if I have enough faith then, then that person will be healed. No, the object of my faith is God. His authority, His power, His will. 
The power of God is not dependent on the amount of faith we have. He's the one in control. And we will never have enough faith. And we must come, I believe, and God help my unbelief in this area because I don't get it. So Jesus says everything. So let's finish with the last part of the resolution talking about Jesus and the role of prayer. Look at verse 25. When Jesus saw that the crowd was running to the scene, He rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, He said. I command you, come out of Him and never enter Him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed Him violently, and He came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. And after Jesus gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. Jesus has total, complete control. I love it. He gets there, commands the demon to get out. The demon leaves in destructive ways again, even to the point where now the boy is lying dead. So now it's like this has gone from bad to worse. First he had like this craziness rolling around. Now he's dead. Great, that didn't work out. But Jesus not only casts out the demon, He raises the boy up. Just like Jairus' daughter seen in chapter 5. Let's look at the phrase here. This kind can come out only by prayer. Remember this. Prayer is the action side of faith. Okay? Write that down. Prayer is the action side of faith. Well, you can have all the faith. As I learned, you can fold your hands for so long, but sometimes you need to open up and do something about it. Sometimes there's action, but prayer truly is the action side of faith. Prayer has great power to bring the work of God into the situation and produce healing, produce the casting out of a demon, to produce dealing rightly with the enemy. Like I said, how do we know if there's demonic activity involved? It might be some you know, crazy wild action by, about, by a person. Or it could be total false doctrine. I've had to deal with that with cults. Prayer has great power. This kind can only come out with prayer. I'll never forget when I was in England, our church, when I was doing my internship, when I was in grad school, we went to England to do some ministry, and at the end we had some time to pray. I'll never forget this guy came up, and he was he's like, I just need prayer. I'm, I'm dealing with a bunch of sin. So I was like, okay, I'll pray for you, you're dealing with sin. And then I started praying, and I was like, okay, this guy wants just to get rid of the sin, but I just I was like, I'm just sensing that he's not confessing. I said, all right, dude, here's the deal. I didn't say dude, but you need to confess. If you're, you don't have to confess to me, but you just confess to God. You, I just sense that you're not, you just want to get here and just deal with it and just leave, but he's like, you're right, I need to confess. So he started to confess, and then he just got his rigid, and he just got mad, and he's like, I'm not going to confess, and I was like, Whoa! I'm like, okay, I'm praying, okay, all right, dude, this guy, this, there's, 
some kind of satanic influence here. So I just started praying. I started, you know, in the name of Jesus and stuff. And he just got more rigid and rigid. And I was like, oh, what's going on? I'll never forget asking him. I just, I just, I said, let me come back. I went to my pastor. I said, can you help me pray for this guy? And my pastor had a handful of peanuts. And he walks over. And for 30 seconds, he stood there. Just eating some peanuts. I'm like, Pray! Come on, do something! And then Steve simply did this. Put his hand on the guy. Said like a 20 second prayer. And it was done. The guy just started crying. And it was done with. And I remember going, give me some of those peanuts. Okay, I know. <laughs> Later that I said, what was that about? Cody. Sometimes you just got to sit back and go, God, what are you doing here? What do you want done right now? So in closing, let me give you a few thoughts of prayer and spiritual warfare. And again, I'm sorry, some of this isn't on the screen. Again, I had issues with me and the PowerPoint. It's my fault. These notes will be online for you. Notice that there was no formulaic prayer incantation that Jesus gave. All right, disciples, how did you not do it? Well, you need a prayer, and here's a special prayer. With a voice like this, in the name of Jesus. You know, I, notice he doesn't say that. Prayer is a deep relationship with the Father. And that's what Jesus had. We need deep relationships with God, the Father. Number two, the authority and power of Christ are unleashed through prayer. And a life filled with prayer can overcome the enemy even when it's from the lips of a child. Amen? When they have simple, all I have is this little bitty faith, God does amazing things. Number three, we should take time to pray to God before dealing with the situation. There's chaos, drama going on. I don't want to jump in there and go, okay, let's fix it, God, you can do it. Sometimes you need to grab a handful of peanuts and just go, okay, Lord, What's your will? What do you want? Sometimes we just need to take time and pray and assess. The power over evil spirits is not inherently in yourself. We must have dependence and guidance from Jesus. No power within ourselves can do spiritual warfare. Be made strong in the Lord and the power of His might, right? Ephesians chapter 6. And lastly, this is the most important thing, I believe. The foundation of prayer is the character of God. Remember that. The foundation of prayer is the character of God. Not a wishing well. Not all these things I wish I could do. The foundation of prayer is the character of God. Both in the Old and New Testament, the saints always turn to the character of God. In the midst of physical sickness, in faith, they enter the spiritual realm through prayer and call upon character of God our confidence is the reality that God will work and answer our requests based upon his will and his character God is sovereign we are not God's character is the focus and his loving care is available and as you pray stand on the promises of God amen that's the foundation of prayer 
our prayers are to be fastened to God's Word so that we're changed and we can know His will and pray His will more effectively. And He has ordained at times to use prayer as a means to accomplish His will. That's the thing that I don't get yet. God's will will happen no matter what. Absolutely. But at times, He has designed and ordained prayer to be a part of doing that. I want to be a part of that, don't you? So let me end with two sentences here. Prayer is not a passive submission to God. God, all right, whatever you want, woe is me. Prayer is not a passive submission to God, but an active persistence that His will will prevail over all things happening right there. Amen? Yes, I want healing for my friend, but ultimately i got to submit and go, God, whatever Your will is, that's what we want. Remember that. And then lastly, hopefully, I'm sorry about the PowerPoint. Hopefully you got that screen with the weird slide. I know. So here is, yeah, there it is. Okay, so years ago, like six years ago, we went through like a two-month series on prayer. And through that, I said, we're going to, as we go through the series of prayer, you can go online, look at a lot of those notes. We will then at the end, as we go through the Bible, let the Bible formulate what a good definition of prayer is. And we kind of kept adding as we went through different passages. And here's kind of what I've summarized in a Trinitarian way. Prayer. Here's the sentence we came up with. Prayer is an intimate response to God's character with dependence on His will, knowing He powerfully moves through Christ by the Holy Spirit. But look at all the little, I mean, this weird slide there. I know I maybe can't see that, but notice there's this relationship. We've got to have that relationship with the Father. And it's a response, it's action. Saying, God, we want you to work powerfully here. And knowing God's nature, His character, He's loving, He's good, He's just with dependence, faith, trust, total surrender, confidence on His will. Knowing, and I know, I believe, that He powerfully moves through Christ by the Holy Spirit. So here's what I want to do right now. There's a lot of stuff we covered, right? It's kind of like class, school. Maybe some of you taking notes. I was even going to get my little cup here, sit with a chair and act like a professor. Today's a more teaching time. We've talked about Satan demons. They are real. They are powerful. But nothing compared to the awesome majesty and power of Jesus Christ. Amen? So when it comes to demons and Satan, yeah, I could be a little afraid, but then I just realized, oh, and I know my position. I am owned by Christ. He's given me authority. I must humbly come in prayer and let Him work in this situation. And really the conflict in those things, I don't think is really Satan and demons and against Jesus like there's this big arm wrestling battle. That's not the real conflict. The real conflict is our unbelief. And let me talk to you little people. Because none of you are super giant Christians in this room. 
because I'm not. Even Friday on the way home, my faith was just like, God, what, what can I do? What, oh, I just I lost it. We're little people. Little faith. I encourage you. Take that little mustard seed of faith and bring it to Christ. And just simply say those great words. I believe it's so puny right now. I feel so frail and weak. God help my unbelief. Those are some of the greatest words a disciple can say. Not, I'm super Christian. I'm up here and I'll help you little people through this all because I know the Bible more than you. No, it's we together saying, God, here's a hard situation. Here's a trial of our faith. We trust in you. Amen? The end of Romans 8. And all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels or demons nor the present nor the future nor any power neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is so good to us. Amen. Keep your eyes on the prize. Your fingers in the Word. You may have small, simple little faith. But ask the Lord to help your faith. To grow and grow in Him. Amen. As you're dismissed, enjoy the donuts and hang out. Fellowship with one another. If you still want to pray, I'll be up here. I'll stay up. I'm not going to be at the door greeting. Just if you want someone to pray, I'll stay up here and pray with you. God bless you. Have an awesome week. See you next week.